0: Hey, 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 closet busters, come on and gather around. It's time once again to kick down those closet doors of life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens, bold move expert and coming out coach. And I'm going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloseted. So come on, grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step into living your truth as we explore more stories, tips, and tricks for living your life uncloseted. Now let's get to the show. Hey there, closet busters and bold move makers. It's me, Rick Clemens, the host of Life Uncloseted. And you know what we say here? Screw it. We're going to kick down the closet doors of our lives. We're going to step out and be ourselves and live the life uncloseted without any apologies. And sometimes that uncloseted thing is really coming to the truth that we're not nearly as uncloseted as we think we are. You know, in our society right now, it seems that gay marriage is being, you know, approved in countries all over the world and that, you know, for at least right now, it seems like things are good. And then sometimes we look at pop culture and we see, oh, look, there's gay couples and lesbian couples and transgender people on shows and everything. So, hey, this is really good. We're making forward strides. But in reality, the truth is we're not near as far along as we could be. In fact, let me just throw you some statistics here. You know, about 42% of LGBT individuals um, experience discrimination at work. Another statistic is that about 30% of LGBT teens admit that they attempt suicide. And all of these things add up. Whether you're actually directly involved or you're just hearing about them on the news, it adds up to this work is not done. And in order to make this work not be done, we've got to keep stepping out. We've got to keep walking into those places that are scary and standing up against people who think that being LGBTQ is not right. And that's why I wanted to bring our guest to the show today. She is a outpatient therapist and she does beautiful work at the Family and Children's Services Center in Midland, Michigan. And she's really taken a stand for saying that LGBTQ individuals in our society really do matter and they need to get the tools that they require to help them feel proud and take stands and be themselves. And I know she's having a huge impact on her own community. But when I heard about her, I thought, I think I want to bring her on just because the work is not done. So welcome to the podcast, Amy. Thanks for being here with me.
1: Thanks for having
0: me here. Well, I'm so excited. And then Amy and I got connected through, for those of you who've been listening to the show for many, many years, you probably will recognize his name, Joe Court, who's a, a therapist as well. And he's a friend of mine. And he had posted something on Facebook about Amy and then about the center that she's working at and all the work she's doing. And I said, I want to have her on the show because it's time to keep talking about this stuff because the work really isn't ever done, is it, Amy?
1: It, it, it's never done. And, and it's always good to keep talking about these things and having conversations.
0: Yeah. And so in and, your little neck of the world, which I don't know, I've never been there. So I'm saying little neck of the world, but <laughs> you're in Michigan and um, the center is something that is really, really done s- some great things in your community. And it's actually, there's a couple of stories I read. Um, where you've really had some people step out and really begin to be themselves. So what brought about this center being developed and, and brought into your community?
1: Yeah, um, actually, so the center, it's really much more of a bigger title. I want to um, clear that up. It's, a, it's more of support groups, mm-hmm. but um, an open conversation um, and an open and a safe place for LGBT teens as well as adults to come into. So we have bi-weekly support groups at this point. Who come into our nonprofit counseling center um, to talk about themselves? And it, um, while we ha- we had P flags and we had a um, so- social support group within um, the Tri City area that I'm in, mm-hmm. we didn't have a psychoeducational group where we did some education, pro- provide some support, and really let um, LGBT adults and youth ask questions in a safe place. And so. Um, you know, I had worked with Joe. Joe was one of my supervisors and uh, started to build up a clientele of people who would come in and they'd hear about me and say, and knew that I was a safe therapist right. and I wanted to, I wanted to expand that and said, we need, I need, uh, I need something more than just one on one. Often the LGBT community feels like they're the only gay in the village yep. and I, and I heard that joke often in session. They're like, I have to be the only bi person in Midland, Michigan. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was, you know, and I wanted, and I can tell them over, over and over again, no, you're not. Um, and so we created this, this these groups, these psychoeducational support groups to say you're not alone mm-hmm. and, um, talk about topics like risky behaviors. Talk about some of those numbers you threw out mm-hmm. the adults, 40, 40%, um, were targeted at their workplace. So how do you come out at your workplace? Mm-hmm. Um, those type of things. And, and the risky behaviors that our teens were, were facing and, and att- thoughts of suicide. Mm-hmm. You know, I have some numbers here in this area that seem just even a little bit higher than that. Yeah. And that's, that's not a great place to be. Mm-hmm. And we can do better and we have to do better. And that's, that's really what motivates me.
0: So, when you talk about risky behaviors, I know suicide is one of those, but what other kind of behaviors are showing up in the youth and teen arena that you would say is um, really some big stuff they need to be really made aware yeah. of? Yeah.
1: Some big stuff is definitely, I mean, and this is not uncommon with a lot of, you know, cisgender heterosexual teens as well, but increased substance abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's a little, they feel a little more comfortable with those risky behaviors or, um, uh, sexual activity, unprotected, um, those type of things. We do have a higher dropout rate for LGBT teens, and we have an increased um, homelessness rate for LGBT teens, which is not always, you know, on their part. You know, at times we'll have families that will kind of kick them out and things like that. Right, right.
0: Well, and it, it is very big. I know I, I was involved in a um, youth shelter in my last city that I lived in, and um, it was it was just heartbreaking to hear these kids stories and you know any any given week pretty much any given week when I'd go to do some of the work I did there, I could count the numbers you know we, we could we could take in about I guess at one point we were able to take in almost 50 kids at a time and whether it was 10 or whether it was 50, I could just about go one, two three four, okay you're probably LGBTQ and never. Ever, ever was I off because it's they're either throwaway kids, they're runaway kids. They feel like they are the only (laughs) gay in the village, as you said. I love that. Um, Yeah, because this is what's still happening in society. And and like I said in the intro, it's it's not done. We still have this to contend with. And it happens everywhere.
1: Right. And, it, it, you know, especially those that are in the field, it's still there. There's still so much work to be done. None of my colleagues or friends say we're ever going to be done with our job in our lifetime. Right. You know, we think we make steps forward. Mm-hmm. One of the other bigger things that I didn't tie in is in Michigan and I don't know um, how it is in California. I could look up the numbers, but human trafficking is a huge issue oh, it's huge in the state of Michigan. I think I think we're number two in the country Wow! and I think our LGBT youth become uh, much more vulnerable to those types of situations and it's it's scary and these conversations have to continue to happen. Yeah.
0: And I, I don't know if the listeners who aren't really familiar with the numbers, but um, the human trafficking piece is very, it's just, it's scary. It's sad. um, But you have to kind of put it into context of imagine yourself as a, a young teen who comes out to your family as LGBTQ most of the time, it's a lot of the, I don't know that the B gets as much of a get out of the house as others, but we're going to put everybody together there. And you're 14, you're 13, you're 16, you know, maybe even 17, 18, 19, whatever it is, but you're, you're thrown out because of who you are. How do you survive? Sure. You can couch surf for a little while. You may be able to find some friends, but at some point, you're still going to have to survive. You're still going to have to feed yourself and get around. And the human traffickers are very, very, very good at identifying these people in the world. And drawing Absolutely them in and, in and luring right. them in and saying what a good life they will have and da 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 And then they get sucked into it. And before they know it, it's, it's a scary place to be. But for a lot of them, and I, I've seen them when I worked at the youth home that I worked at, It's this is just what I'm supposed to be. This is how life is. And they don't know how to get Mm -hmm. out and they can't get away. And I'm sure that's what you experienced there as well.
1: Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're sort of they manipulate sometimes and they and, you know, tell them that they're going to be loved and safe. And Mm -hmm. they start to mix up having a warm place to sleep and food um, as love. Mm-hmm. and safety or they're doing what they need to do to survive. Mm-hmm. And that's human tra- That's part of what human trafficking is. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. It's, it's so sad. So you are a heterosexual woman, correct?
1: No, I'm actually bisexual.
0: <laughs> okay. That's why I came there. I was <laughs> like, I want to, I, I hate to go there, but I, there's always an interesting <laughs> oh. space when I get, you know, go there. Cause I'm like, I'm not sure, but I love it when people can be so open because this is why the you know, work needs to be done.
1: Right. No, that's, you know, and it's always that awkward conversation, but and it's actually a good question about, you know, why I'm able to say that so comfortably now with you and it, it wasn't always that way. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. I've always known since you know I was 12 years old that I was, you know, I believe in the 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 um sexuality spectrum, but I've been firmly in the middle since mm-hmm. I was 12 years old thanks to new kids on the block and <laughs> <laughs> um, a certain girl on my softball team, I knew that I had feelings that were, you know, um, right there in the middle. <laughs> it yeah. was pretty much adolescent hell for me. Mm. It's, it's not any, I didn't, but we joke, but I didn't quite know what bisexuality was growing up. We didn't talk about those sort of things. And I'm only 40, so I don't think particularly old. Right. But, um, and then I met my husband in the 10th grade okay. and was pretty smitten and in love right away. Mm-hmm. And been married to him for 17 years and wow. very much in love with him. And, uh, I didn't tell anybody until I went off to college and then my husband was the first person I told mm-hmm. and really identified as went through the stages of being by curious calling myself bicurious curious and mm-hmm. coming to this place, even just uh, in my early thirties of, no, I'm bisexual. And what does that mean to be married and bisexual? What does that mean to put myself out there in that mm-hmm. way? Um, and I really thought that it was important that I do that because of our culture of sometimes bi erasure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in 2016, bisexuals were the most discriminated group within the LGBT community, even more than trans. But right. we weren't talking about that. So I proudly say that I'm bisexual. I'm mm-hmm. married to my husband and happy. But uh, yeah, I'm yeah.
0: So, so I'm, glad, I'm glad we went here at, because this is a this is one of the trickiest subjects. I think I talk about on this podcast, you know, we used to be the coming out lounge. So it was talking about all sorts of stories and it was always, I I shouldn't say really hard, but it was a little bit hard to find someone who could really articulate the bisexual experience and to use terms like bi erasure and stuff because they want to talk about it. But then there's that piece of pick a team, come on, pick a team. And it's like, (laughs) Why do we have to pick that team? And, and, uh, you know, I'm I'm a father of a bisexual child, so I get that. It's like, just let them be who they are. And I've had friends and I will I will say, yes, I know I'm a gay man, but I'm somewhere on the spectrum that if a woman in the right situation happened, I wouldn't say, oh, my gosh, no. But that's just a sexual piece of it. I'm still very attracted to women. I'm very, I think right. the women are beautiful. I think they're great. Um, you know, it's, it's not, oh no, I can't do that. But this thing of you've got to be what somebody wants you to be and pick a team drives me nuts.
1: It's and, awful. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I, I think that, you know, to be bisexual and be married, I, I I'm so blessed to have a wonderful partner, mm-hmm. um, who's never, never said, you know, no, I can't be that. In fact, when I, first came out he just was he would say things like I'm so proud of you you're more you're being who you are and I love you even more because of it he's who is never threatened and other people want to question that relationship well how does how does your husband react to that and so sometimes I joke and say well he doesn't know let's Mm -hmm. not tell him okay right Nobody tell him, but he does know. And he's been very much a part of me talking about process and, um, and yeah, we don't have to pick a team and even we can be more comfortable now. And I can say, Oh, well that person is attractive. And my husband can say, yeah, she's pretty attractive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: So, yeah. Um, I think it's that part of society though, that is like you need to do this to make me feel comfortable. That's what mm-hmm. it boils down to. And when I I remember when I started figuring that out and I I still remember when I first started getting comfortable in my own self around my transgender brothers and sisters, I remember going through pure hell because I'm like, okay, I get it intellectually. I get it, but I, I have to wrap my head around this. And once I started to go, wait, this isn't about me. This is about them. This is who they are. It made it so much easier And even as a gay man, I was like kicking myself going, quit making this so hard, quit making this so hard. (laughs) But I know as a human, this is how we're wired. We have to get things into certain boxes and certain labels have to be there for us to understand. Yet that's on you. That's on you to figure that out. It's not on the person who is saying, here, here I am. I'm Amy and I'm bisexual or here, here I am. I'm Rick and I'm gay they're pretty Mm -hmm. secure, even though you admitted just like I had that it took me a while to get there. You know, it got me. I had to get used to myself first. But when we get into these spaces, and this is why, again, why I love having these kind of conversations on the podcast is because this is what keeps moving things forward. If you didn't say anything and if you had said, and I would have respected that if you said, no, I'd rather not talk about it. That's fine. But I also find that if people don't continue to put things out there where we can have dialogue around these sort of things, the world isn't going to move forward. It's going to be okay to say, let's hide this. And I think exactly. we've done that for too long. I mean, I know I did. I hid it for many, many, many years. So so what Funny. do you found and most I... liberating? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead.
1: Oh, yeah. I was thinking, I can imagine once you came out that feeling of being completely authentic with yourself. Mm-hmm. It's just amazing. And that's mm-hmm. you know that's what's been most helpful for me. I don't think that I could be the therapist I am had I not gone through my own journey.
0: Yep.
1: I don't, I'm don't. i not saying because I'm bisexual I'm better at this, but because I'm most authentic with who I am now, mm-hmm. that's why I can be a good therapist to anybody, LGBT or not in the LGBT mm-hmm. community. Mm-hmm. I'm a better therapist. I'm a better friend. I'm a better wife to my husband. Um, being authentic is, is everything. And so when you talk about Uncloseted, I, I really respected that 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 metaphor. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm out of the closet. I'm authentic, and mm-hmm. I don't have to hide the things that I was hiding in that closet with me.
0: And I'm glad you said that because that is the point of this podcast. Even though we've kind of shifted somewhat from everything being about LGBTQ, at the core of it, it is the LGBTQ part of this podcast that was it for so many years. It was the torchbearer to guess what. This isn't just an LGBTQ experience, because once you start being authentic, then it's about being authentic in your work, in your relationships, in your friendships, in the things that you say you enjoy doing. So many of us, and I'm raising my hand here, folks, you can't see it, but I promise you I'm (laughs) raising my hand. We struggle with continuing to be authentic in everyday things. But the minute you learn to start letting yourself be authentic and true then every day can become, okay, this is where I stand. This is what I value. I value being honestly who I am. I just had a really powerful conversation with a good friend of mine who happens to be also a business mentor of mine. And we had a really raw conversation about some challenges that were going on in the services I was being provided, but it was because we both know we can be real and authentic with each other. And we walked away from it, still saying, I still love you, man. I love you too. I care. I respect you all this stuff, but too often because we don't allow ourselves to go into the journey of authenticity and for, you know, LGBTQ people like us, I really encourage us to see what a beautiful gift that is. We have been given to let our sexuality be the torch of what it means to really live an authentic life. And I think sometimes our community forgets that, that this can be used for good in a lot of different ways. And, um, I don't know. So tell me, you kind of alluded to it here in what you were just saying, but you said it's really made you a better therapist. And my question right before I was, I heard you saying something was going to be, what is one of the biggest benefits that you've seen by being authentically who you are, but go beyond the therapy. What else is happening in your world when you now know this is who I am and this is how I show up? What's the benefit to you?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of it really. So uh, being the therapist, obviously I can connect with some, I don't share with everybody in session because it's, you know, usually sure. about them, uh, but I'm able to share that. But even beyond that. So, you know, my coming out process was a, a kind of a long journey for me. I, mm-hmm. you know, kissed a couple, kissed a couple girls in college and realized oh, I'm still curious. But as that evolved, realized that that was just something I was hiding behind safely And um, in my 30s, you know, became more aware of who I was and started to have those conversations with people around me, including um, individuals from my church. And what did that mean faith-wise? Where was it? Where did I see myself in the eyes of God with being bisexual and all of those things and got past some of those. And because of that, because of those conversations and a couple of other reasons that I don't know if we can have time to, I thought. What, have I, what, are, what are some of my goals? What do I want to do? And um, it led me to the University of Michigan where I wanted to work on um, my um, post-grad certification for, um, to be a sex therapist and sex educator. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I could have walked onto that campus. Um, I don't know that I could have um, got accepted into that the program had I not been more authentic with myself and who I was. Mm-hmm. Um, my sexuality was just a, a part of the reason why. Um, the other reasons that we didn't get to talk to are about, you know, the, the safety for LGBT, the right. fact that we are not talking about sex to keep kids safe from sexual harm and predators, and all of those were motivators. Mm-hmm. But my own personal journey with my, my sexuality um, was a reason. And so I took that confidence, and I went to the University of Michigan, which is, I think, a big school. Go blue, right? Right. And um, I was like, who do I think that I am here? in this program with all these other amazing people. Um, and it was a year-long program and really, really kind of helped define more of my what my own journey was, what my journey looked like going forward and those that were around me. So oh. but my isn't, sexuality isn't was all part of that. Though?
0: Yeah, it, but that's what I've learned. And I went through the same thing, Amy, the exact same thing. It's like. As soon as for all the pain and everything that it caused, you know, going through a divorce and breaking up a family Mm -hmm. in the way that we knew the family was, I didn't realize really till I guess about five, six years later that the power of that, what I call the authenticity torch that happens when Mm -hmm. you come out, that you get handed if you use it in the right way, Every day, which I don't think there's a bad way to use authenticity, but sometimes I wonder if too many people throw that around and go, oh, look at me, you know. Right, right. But we do have a torch we hold in our hand as LGBTQ people that helps us begin to do this in lots of other ways. And as I've worked with clients and my own journey as well, I came to a realization that I don't want to be doing this corporate work anymore. I don't want to be in corporate America. But I had to have, Mm -hmm. in fact, I just spoke on stage a few days ago about this. I had to have that coming out journey of leaving my career and leaving an industry that I thought this is where I'm always going to be. But I had to go through that coming out journey to say this isn't the right career. This isn't the right industry for me to be in. And the more I practice that and I utilize my own coming out journey over and over and over again in every aspect of life that's how I know I'm continuing to just fall in line, be in line with my own authenticity on a daily basis. And it's really mm-hmm. a, it's a, it's a good drug. Let's just say that. <laughs> I don't even like using it as a drug, but it's a, it's a good right. metaphor for it, you know, so.
1: Yeah, um, absolutely. I can just, you know, my life is completely changed mm-hmm. um, from, you know, the starting with the coming out and, you know, that's, you know, that really that in that 30s that involved the relationship and a lot of hurt that Mm -hmm. that kind of sucked to get your heart broke or your feelings hurt. Um, But really put in perspective who I was and what it was um, that I was and what I, what I'm not also. Mm -hmm. And there from there really just changing the pattern and, and, you know, then career wise, finding out that i was sort of on the right path, but I needed to take a little bit of a turn Mm -hmm. and having the confidence to do that. And then the confidence to go to my program. And now, um, I'm at a place where I feel really comfortable to be able to bring these groups to a community that needs them. I feel like I'm the the right person. And we had talked about, you know, hopefully I'll start my own podcast within the next six months or so and be right. able to get my voice out there. And then my dream is for Ellen to pick me up and bring <laughs> me on her show. So yep. we, we've all got dreams. Yes, we so. do.
0: Yes, we do. <laughs> That's very cool. So what are you finding the most challenging right now in the work you're doing with the groups? What is like some of the biggest challenges that either youth or adults are coming? I mean, I know we alluded to it. We alluded to suicide. We alluded to discrimination, Mm -hmm. but what are some of the really big personal challenges these people are coming to you with?
1: You know, really a lot of it is that internalized homophobia. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I can very honestly say that I had it, you know, that was, uh the way that i would call myself just bi curious or things like that or it was just a phase or girl crushes um a little a lot deeper um some some real um challenges with faith and um the struggles within that are really hard and then uh just like maybe some of the heterosexual um individuals or couples i see struggles with just relationship choices and understanding what a healthy relationship looks like those are, those are still big in the community. What, it, what does a healthy relationship look like? Um, and then sometimes comparing those. We talk about um, being in the LGBT community. I'm Also, my community is a little more conservative, but sometimes in the community we have things like monogamous relationships right. and then that fear of judgment. We have polyamorous relationships where they don't want to um, talk about those things and, and some phobias, or with internal phobias about those mm-hmm. things. Um, we really start to work out an individual therapy as well as the group. Right.
0: Well, you know, you brought up the homophobia, and um, it always seems to be the word that I think a lot of us use, but I think phobias in general are really at the core, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's transphobia or polyamory phobia. You know, I've got some good yeah. friends that are polyamorous, and we all we talk about this stuff a lot. It's like, you know, homophobia is like the easy one to throw out, A, because it just kind of rolls off the tongue. But really the way I look at it is, Everything about anything to do with sexuality or alternative At- relationships is a phobia. Mm-hmm. Because it's Absolutely. not the norm. And right. again, when you step back and you go, okay, that's not your norm, but this is my norm. And it's not easy. I'm not saying flip it, fuck everybody. <laughs> you know, it's not that. Because right. it's not that easy. But I think if you can, I don't know. My, I think if you can get to that kind of mindset to some degree of it's your deal, not mine. And not right. put the you fuck know. it in it, like I said. You know, even though I said fuck it, it's really <laughs> yeah. more, it's your deal, it's not mine, so go deal with that. That's yours to yeah. go deal with. But yeah. it's so hard because really, we get triggered. Yeah. We do get triggered by you know, this.
1: Being able to say, be you without fear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, be, you know, uh, other individuals think that somehow t- it's going to lessen the covenant of their marriage or their relationship mm-hmm. if uh, two women are married or three women are married or whatever, and it really has nothing to do with it. And maybe you should focus on your relationship and what you want to strengthen and leave the other people alone. They're not infringing on the covenant of your relationship. Right. And um, it's important. I don't know.
0: I also think what happens, and as a therapist, I'm sure you've got your, your take on this, is oftentimes when somebody sees this, so, you know, when somebody sees somebody in an open relationship and they're like, Oh my God, I could never do that. And they go on and on and on. It's either there's something about that, that has wounded you in some way. So you've had somebody who's cheated on you or something, or you've had parents who went through a divorce because there's something, you know, there that kind of has stirred that. Or there's that opposite thing of you really would like to do that, but gosh, I can't let anybody know that's what I'd really like to do because then what would people think of me? There's always a hidden trigger. I believe that is behind the way someone reacts to stuff. I'm just yeah. curious what you think.
1: As, yeah, as a therapist, that's my, uh, that's always my big question about anything. Is what is your motivation? Mm-hmm. What's your motivation for that action or your motivation for that, you know, that way that you presented things? Um, and people, yeah, it, it, like you said, there's always something behind it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, thankfully therapists are educated and, and I try to help educate other people, you know. Fifty um, percent of gay uh, gay males report being in an open relationship. Mm-hmm. That's that's what works for them, and that number's been consistent for ten years. It's it's something within the community within the community. Right. If you're not a gay male in that community, you may not understand it, but you don't have to understand it. And, right. and what is your motivation for being so angry about it? Are you curious about your sexuality? Let's talk about it. Right. You know, I always hate the old stereotype, but it's kind of true. The people who are most vocal against um, homosexuality specifically mm-hmm. usually end up being the ones that we hear on the news.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, and so. and and now in this day and age, it, whether it's homosexuality or transgender or polyamory or whatever, it, it's typically those people again, and they're they're probably wanting to do it or they're doing it, and they use it as a right. mask to hide behind. And it's really sad, you know. It's it's very yeah. sad that that's what happens. But it's part of the fabric of our society, which to me means the work we do and, and the stuff you do in your groups and, and how you move people forward is just another testament to why this work needs to be, continue to be done and, it, and I agree 100% I said, in fact I think I probably said it on the very first time I interviewed Joe on the podcast I, I even remember the very first podcast I did I said I look forward to the day that I don't have to do this work but I don't believe it will ever be in my lifetime and you said yeah. the same huh. thing, you know, and it's, un- it's, I want to say it's unfortunate, but yet it's not because I see us as the, the torch bearers that are handing this to the next generation who will then hand it as needed to the next generation until it doesn't huh. become anything. And yes, what I love to see right. is not in my lifetime ever again. Yeah. But I look at it so much differently now. Yes, but I'm just contributing to making it work and
1: making it better. Right. Bottom
0: line. So. Huh. So I, no, I, have a, I have a question I for you. Yeah, okay. yeah. Go ahead. No, okay. go ahead. Do your two points. Oh, a, yeah. My,
1: two quick thoughts was um, our, What I do like is the younger generation. What gives me hope for them is their expression of fluidity, mm-hmm. um, gender fluidity, and sexual fluidity gives me hope that mm-hmm. they understand that things aren't as black and white or in a box as our generation. Mm-hmm. So. Um, and then I was just going to add that um, at, at U of M, we had a a, a slogan in our, our class that said talking about sex will change the world. Mm-hmm. So I, I hold on to that instead of, you know, we instead of thinking that maybe we, we won't have to talk about it in our lifetime, you and I talk about and say things, but having these conversations, having your podcast mm-hmm. and talking about these topics can make a difference and can change the world,
0: essentially. Mm-hmm. It can. And you actually kind of went where I was going to go to ask you a question is, you know, what do you think would change the world? And and you kind of brought it forward. I think what I find most fascinating, I always say I think, but no, I'm going to say what I find most fascinating is when you can talk about sex in a way that makes people squirm yet feel comfortable by the time you're done talking about it, then you have accomplished what you set out to do. Because we're so used to squirming around that word. But Mm -hmm. when we quit squirming, then we have done exactly what is needed to be done. And um, I do a very interesting keynote where it is all about the coming out journey of being an entrepreneur or being a leader in business. And there's bits and pieces where I drop in my sexuality and I can feel the room get uncomfortable. But when I normalize it, that, you know what, here's the bottom line. I was so confused in my sexuality, I didn't know which way I was going. But guess what, Mr. CEO or Mr. Line Manager or Mr. Director or Mr. Young Entrepreneur, you're in a confused state right now. So welcome to your coming out journey. We all start at the same space. It's always with confusion. It's always in that confused space. And that's what opens the doorways. And I think the work that you're doing is where it starts to let's minimalize the confusion and let's start to bring the courage and the confidence forward and the commitment to be who you're meant to be that to me is the bottom line of all of this
1: a hundred
0: percent yeah so i'm curious amy if you could leave one bit of wisdom for somebody who's listening and, and and from the work you've dropped a beautiful stuff already but one word of wisdom that would help someone who's like, I just don't know how to do this. What would be your advice to them?
1: Yeah, It's okay to not know how to do it and work on taking the first step and the second step. And then you're going to take another step forward. One step at a time. I know it sounds cliche, but it's better than staying where you're at. Mm. And then as I talked about be honest with which step you're trying to go. Are you trying to go backwards into the closet or are you trying to go forward? Mm-hmm. And what is your goal? Um, and then take those steps and find people around you that love you and support you unconditionally. Um, get rid of any toxic people. Mm-hmm. Um, they're only going to hold you back. And you know, I think people know who toxic people are mm-hmm. and um, and be be brave enough to make that step forward. And if you, you know, you need help, there's support groups. If I have one in Midland, Michigan, which is a totally conservative town, mm-hmm. I, I have I have faith that there are gonna be others, mm-hmm. whether they're online, or whether they're in your own community. And if you need help, you can reach out to me, mm-hmm. and I will help you wherever you're at. I will do research and find somebody mm-hmm. or something that can help you.
0: So That's what I think is, moving forward. that is the thing that is so powerful about our, our community of servers who serve you know, people through these journeys is at least I haven't seen it yet. Maybe I'm wrong, but I have yet to meet a therapist or a coach who's like, Oh no, 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 no. I, 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 it's all about me taking care of them. I would rather refer somebody to somebody in their own backyard or someone that they feel more comfortable with than me. than for me to struggle to try to help them. It's, it, there's always uh-huh. resources to be given, I mean, when somebody calls, you know, and I've had some people call me from Michigan and and because Joe's in that area now, now that I know you, you're in that area. I would much rather them feel comfortable with someone. And sometimes they don't. They want to be working with someone that's partially across the country because it's easier for me to like walk into what I'm about to walk into, not because somebody's in my backyard. But Amy's right. There are so many resources. And even if you feel like, as she said, That you're the lone person in the village. Well, trust me, there's a lot of closet doors in that village that there's somebody else hiding behind. And just being willing to believe that there are other people there usually is the energy that gets put out to attract them to you. So you can find that you're not just alone on the island, so to speak. So, right.
1: Yeah. Absolutely.
0: You're not alone. You're not
1: and, alone. Um, yeah and i like the fact one final note is um we can't do it all ourselves as individuals and so um i am a huge person who likes collaborating and building teams and mm-hmm. so i find other people yeah. we have great organizations here in michigan um perceptions is a um organization in the tri-cities we have equality michigan and we have the aclu mm-hmm. we have i have other a handful of other therapists who can are really good at this work, and we reach out to each other. It's not about Amy at Family and Children Services. I do think I'm the coolest. I mean, okay, obviously, well, okay, obviously, obviously, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> and Family and Children is a phenomenal place, but we can't do everything.
0: Mm-hmm. I need the help from the perceptions and you in Equality Michigan.